Welcome back to Sober Grind. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you better understand addiction and recovery. My name is Austin, and I'm your co-host along with Pej. If you need help with addiction, whether it be for yourself or someone you know, you can call us 24-7 at 877-577-9382. That's 877-577-9382 to get the addiction help that you need anywhere in the country. Today's topic is a tough one. The delusion of thinking that you can fix an addict by yourself. As a parent or loved one of an addict, you want to be able to just fix them and go back to the way that things used to be. And unfortunately, it's not always that easy. And sometimes it's hard to let go. Are you ready? Let's talk about this. Ready to rock and roll, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another always exciting episode of Sober Grind. My name is Austin and I'm joined by the always amazing co-host. Pesh. 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 Hitting you hard. Today we have a tough topic. Uh, it's a reality check for a lot of people. You might not want to hear this, but you need to hear this. Pesh, you want to introduce our topic for today? Yes, we have it down as, um, where is it written down? Oh, the delusion of thinking that you can fix the addict. Yes. Pej, why did you want to, in particular, talk about this topic today? I know we've gone into enabling a little bit before, but let's segue into this, uh, create some you know, unique perspectives on it. Everybody that's watching, we encourage you to share your experience on this throughout. But Pej, why did you want to talk about this today? Well, you know, like in the past when we've done the sober ground, we've talked about um, we've done we've done a, a full show on enabling on codependency was a different one, and just kind of bringing it all together. Like you have to understand, like I'm a product of of enabling of being enabled. Right? There was a time when um, my you know in my 30s when I that already ran my life into the ground and caused myself a lot of wreckage. I depended on trying to uh, live off of my mom. So like I moved back into her house when I was in my thirties. And when I uh, went there, she, she put out, she provided a roof over my head. She was harboring an addict. She had certain conditions that I was supposed to, to adhere to and to follow as in stay sober, get a job. And, um, and so like in her eyes, I was being a good boy and I was doing well. Um, I also wasn't telling her the little secrets that I had, like the fact that I wasn't completely sober. I was attempting to get off of the heavy drugs, but when you have everything taken care of and a place to live and you're in active addiction, um, it's like close to impossible to actually get sober within that type of environment. So um, as much as I wanted to be well, I knew I wasn't well, I still wasn't ready to completely throw in the towel. So I'm a product of enabling because my mom wasn't armed with facts. She didn't know um, that she was actually hurting me rather than helping me. She didn't also, she was of the mindset too that she could keep me in the house and, and, um, and possibly, you know, get through to me by telling me about how ambitious uh, she has raised me to be 
or how talented I am, or, you know, when somebody's in active addiction, no matter how talented they are, it's, it's close to impossible to actually really uh, achieve your goals or to go after them. So <clears throat> again, you know, part of me wanted to be really good, but there was another part of me that was um, never going to get well. Right. And she could, she was under the delusion that she was going to be able to fix me and that wasn't going to happen. So um, she needed help. She needed, she needed help, uh, a lot of help. She needed professional help. She needed to reach out to the right people. And uh, even when she did reach out to them, and this came to me after, like after I got sober a few years after, I found out that she had called for help and she tried to talk to certain people. And because they um, gave her recommendations, one of them was to not harbor me anymore, not to hold me in the house, or not le to let me go out and figure it out for myself. Um, she didn't take that instruction and they said, well, you know what, then your son's going to have to call us when you want help, right? And thus started another four or five year journey of complete alcoholism and addiction because um, even though I got in trouble a couple of times with the police, she still was opening her door to me and letting me come back. So in a sense, she was a helicopter mom that was always hovering and wanting to make sure that her son is going to be fixed and it's going to be, I'm going to be fixed on my time and on, on her time, right? So that um, if anyone could do it better, it would be the woman that she thought she was that had raised me. She had no clue that she was dealing with a complete monster that was in his addiction, his ego, his alcoholism. And um, it wasn't going to happen on her time at all, not on her time or not on her time. So why did I want to come up with this is because um, I deal with a lot of parents and I deal with a lot of their uh, loved ones. And sometimes they're not just parents. Sometimes they're just people that are in a relationship with someone. Sometimes they're brothers and sisters of someone. But uh, a lot of times they call and they want help and they say they're going to take all types of direction. And they sometimes, you know, God bless their souls. They take the direction for a limited amount of time. But um, when, when, the, the, when they're not open to taking full direction, they're basically... They're taking half measures when it comes to the direction of helping their loved one. And just as much as they would like for their loved one to get well and remain well, like if you want your kids to get into recovery or your loved one to get into recovery and um, you want them to take full measures in, in, in obtaining long-term recovery, you have to take full measures too in making the process get to that point. This is of great importance. And, um, you know, it can just get really frustrated, like frustrating when you have somebody who – um, you've showed them the reality, and it's happens with a lot of mothers and fathers of people that um, I have dealt with even more recently, where you've showed them that what you're doing is unhealthy for your kid. This is not good. Like, stop it. You know, and how can you say that in a, in a nice way? It's really hard to be really nice about it these days. Of course, as a professional, I have to present it and, and talk about it, but when you see them continually going against what you're recommending or what you're saying, and they keep putting fuel in that person's egoic fire in their in their disease, when they keep feeding the beast, keep feeding the beast, and it comes with material stuff, you know? It's kind of amazing to me how um, a lot of people that come into the line of recovery today, it, it, there's conditions to them coming to get real recovery. Like, they set conditions, and some of those conditions are, when am I gonna get my phone? How long until I get my phone? You know, and it's like you go into detox, bro. Like, do you really need your phone when you're and you're like laid up in in detox? No, you don't. You don't even need your phone for a long time. Like, this is a good time for you to really focus on your life and figure out like how you tick. 
Like what's happened to you in your life to where you continually keep going in and out of treatment or you keep hopping. And, and so also, you know, having a car, you know, a, a car that's been provided to you by your parents. So the addict in active addiction just thinks, well, I deserve the car. It's my car. My mom bought me that car. My dad bought me that car. But truth of the truth of the matter is a lot of parents will continue to pay for the, the, the addict's car while they are, uh, driving and transporting drugs in that car under the influence, sometimes, you know, using the car in, in ways that weren't really intended for the purpose of why they got the car in the first place, like going to so-and-so's house to go and pick up a bunch of uh, Xanax and other drugs or, or going in, in various places and, and transporting amount of drugs or whatever from one place to another. Like, that's not what the car was intended for. That, you know, heaven forbid, like you have a car accident in that car because you're under the influence and you kill somebody, you know? So uh, you as a parent that's putting money into uh, the car itself, the insurance, and on top of that, the gas, there's some parents that will do all of that for their active addict or alcoholic. And um, and when you tell them to stop it, they just won't stop. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, very long-winded. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> Every everybody that's uh, currently tuning in right now, we'd love to hear your personal experiences with enabling addiction and the illusion of being able to fix a loved one. Um, so, Pej, there's a, a, lots of different questions that are coming to my mind, but you know, it, at that first level, before you actually are able to talk to a parent, for instance, do you think that in the back of their head they know or and have like an ignorance is bliss type of mentality where they just refuse to see it because they only see their their child as as a child, not as an adult that's actively using or, you know, what is the mentality there that they, you know, do they just want to help? What what do you commonly see in the early stages of, of enabling? Well, there's there's different types of parents. So like there's some parents that have had their kids go in and out of treatment a few times. So they've already had a counselor talk in their ear or a therapist, make it apparent to them that you have to stop enabling. So the yeah. word enabling, like a lot of parents that have already had experience with their kid going in and out, they're all too familiar with the word enabling. They've heard codependency. They've heard about codependency. Somebody, yeah. somebody has put them in, put them, put a, a book in their hand, perhaps by Melody Beattie, like, codependent no more where they can read that stuff and they can they they see it it's right there in front of them but how much does one really say to themselves i am practicing this codependency and i need to stop like there's nothing more freeing than overcoming codependency right or i am the problem or i am very much part of the problem my kid's addicted to drugs I'm addicted to my kid. I'm addicted to fixing my kid. I'm addicted to the delusion that I'm going to be the one fixing them. You know, I was talking to a friend this morning and um, they were talking about how their kid uh, has struggled and got in and out. And, and um, he, he was talking to somebody else and uh, who had some knowledge of this. And that particular person told him that um, there's a chance your kid's going to get well and there's a chance your kid's not going to get well. But guess what? If and when he does get well, it's not because of you. You know, it's not because of what you did to help get him well. However, you know, this could work in different ways. So, and, you know, there's people that they hear the word codependency, they cringe because they've heard it so many times. They've been, they've, they, they take offense to it. 
there's some that will accept that they have that, but they're very still still very comfortable in being that, and they'll still continue to be codependent and acting codependent. So there's a lot to be said. You know, there, there's different types of codependency. You know, there's a there's codependency within relationships. There's codependency within uh, friendships. There's codependency within uh, family settings. You know, unhealthy families. Uh, there's been a lot of times where I'm trying to work with a family and every family member's on board except for that one family member. And that one family member can be the major problem in this because they'll continue to rescue. They'll throw out the rescue net. They'll throw, you know, they'll 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 throw a life preserver and try to reel the person back in and, and here, let, why don't you let them come to me and they can come stay with me and I'll help them, which is bad. It doesn't ever help the person move forward in the recovery. It hurts them more than it helps them. So how do you get through to parents, you don't and, know. You know. Even not even just parents. You know, codependent in relationships as well. Like maybe it's a, a fiance, a husband, uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that thinks that they can personally help the addict that they're with as well. How do you actually cut through that and tell them to let go? That's well, a good question. You don't always get through to everybody. Like not a lot of people are going to hear it. You know you. There are people who I have worked closely with over a long period of time in like a sober coaching or, or a recovery coach uh, with their family members uh, position, right? To where they take a lot of direction. And a lot of times when they take all of the direction that's given to them without uh, continually enabling, we see results. We see, we put the person, the, act, the addict in a position to where they then reach out for help. How do you get through to them? There's not magical words. I mean, as a professional over the years, um, I've developed a way of being able to talk to them more and making it more apparent that um, that they're hurting the person rather than helping them without sounding like I'm coming at them sideways. A lot of people may take it that way. There are people that are uh, just as ego egotistical as their addict is in their addiction. They are too. Like They don't want you to have to tell them how to be. So there's no way of getting through that type of person. They know everything. They, they think that they can fix this issue. However, um, some of them, and I, there's a lot of people that are helping and enabling that God bless their souls. I know they have good hearts and they're not doing it with bad intention, but they're just, it's, they're under a delusion. They really think that they're going to be the one that is going to, you know, be the one that changes this person's life. And on top of that, they have this ultimate huge astronomical fear that their kid is going to die out there in the streets. Well, what's the difference between your kid doing fentanyl within your house and out on the street? At least in your house, he, you know, he's not in survival mode. When he's out on the street, he's in survival mode. And he may ask for help a lot faster if he doesn't have a place where he's, you know, secluded within a, in the comfort of a home to be able to do his drugs. So he's dying in your house anyway. You know, and that's that's something that's really hard for people to grasp or to wrap their head around. Yeah, I, I want to encourage uh, all of our viewers right now, if you have any questions uh, that you'd like us to answer about recovery, addiction, substance abuse, or enabling in general, please let us know in the comments. We're here for you. We're here to answer your questions to the best of our abilities. So just let us know and we'll get to that. Pej. I, I see Stacey Aguirre wrote, it's always so sad watching the addict die in front of your eyes uh, when there is a solution out there. It takes drastic measures to help them. Um, it's, it's totally true. It's very sad. And that's why 
sometimes look Lynn says hello too sometimes you just have to um, you know we talk about tough love we talk about um, they have to hit their bottom but how's someone gonna hit their bottom if you're providing a safety net for them it's, you can't you have to stop you have to really stop and and some people will just never come to terms with that and some will you know some there's a lot of parents that, this is what I see often more often than none some of the success stories get real recovery and seek the help on their own when their parents cut the umbilical cord and wash their hands with it when they basically said say i'm done like it happened in my case when when my mom finally told me no more like i'm done i'm spent i've put my heart and soul into trying to save you i've been trying to help you i love you but the way i love you is literally going to love you to death and i'm not going to continue to do that therefore figure it out on your own go out get one year of solid sobriety and if you if you can call me after a year and you have your solid and you're sober then we can talk mind you she didn't just come up with that it wasn't just whipped up out of nowhere she talked to the right people who taught her what to say how to say it and to live by it right you can't just give lip service to an addict or an alcoholic if you if you basically you know put that boundary in front of you and you follow it you know to a t and you don't allow the person to bulldoze over you anymore then we're in business right then you may get somewhere and um you know some people might be like well when Pej, we've tried all of that but but um we listened to you but they died out on the street i don't think that many addicts really go out on the street and survive for that long they will ask for help when they're put in a position. And then there's sometimes, there's the people that are beyond human aid. I'm talking like people that are more comfortable living on skid row in a tent, and that's not always forever, right? Unless they get some kind, unless they have some kind of mental health uh, illness, which is common also, and to where they just get shot out and they, there's no hope for them anymore. We've seen that, you know, we stick around here for a long time and see all different types of characters, right? That, that come into the picture. But, you know, from, there's various people that, We'll be out for many years as a homeless person. There's people that will ask for help almost immediately. But either way, the enablers never fixing them. They just are not helping. Yeah. And there's a lot of people also that will say, "Well, this is different. You know, our kid is different." No, they're not unique. They're just as much human as everyone else, and they should be able to have the opportunity to get help without you standing in their way. Yeah. And if people really need help, call a professional. We're here. Yeah, Pesh, uh Obviously, your story is is very powerful and, and impactful for many people. I was hoping, uh, if you can think of one, you know, without naming names, of course, can you tell us another story uh, of a family that you've helped that perhaps the parent was enabling and the addict was using in their house? How did you get them help? What was the messaging that you talk to them that finally cut through. Can you come up with any specific examples uh, of how it went without naming names, of course? Of course. I mean, there's so many different, <clears throat> there's so many different examples. As an interventionist, I get calls all the time to go into people's houses and or to set up a pre-intervention and, and get it going. But there was um, one in particular, which I, I was called to come to um, this house and the whole family was there. It was a gentleman that was in his uh, early fifties and, he had drank himself uh, to a drunken stupor a week before, and they found him um, 
they had to hospitalize him because of his drinking, right? To the point where he was face down and he wasn't even breathing. And they came, they got him, they took him. And so a week later, he was drinking again, right? And so the family called me and I set it all up. I did the pre-intervention. I almost felt like I was on a TV show, right? And I was like sitting in there. It was like a really nice family, right? Everybody, you could just see like they were so well together. It was such a close-knit family. And, and um, uh, their house looked like it was designed in 1965 1975 or something like that but i was just sitting in this living room just like kind of it was like a spiritual experience and the dude was was going to be brought by his by his uh brother right and so i see them pull up and they said he's here he's here now he's about to get here right now and um this guy came in the living room and he said well i've already been filled in on what's going on here so i guess they told him there's going to be an interventionist and uh, and he just looked at everybody and and um and I I said uh, do I need to say anything and he goes ah, I don't think you need to say anything where do I need to go and I said well <laughs> I mean we we have it all set up for you we can take you to treatment and all that and then the mom who was handicapped and sitting over in the corner she goes not so fast Shunny before we get started I still have a letter I need to read you I put a lot of effort into putting this letter together and I'm just gonna I I want you to hear what I have to say and of course like when mom talks like everybody needs to just sit still. Right, and he said, "Sure, mom, no problem." He was drunk. He was drunk. Awesome. But you know what? This woman, she took her sweet time, and she read every word for a word, down to every sentence. And afterwards, uh, he just said, "He got up and goes, what do I do next?'" And I go, "Let's get in the car, pack a bag for him." They already had a bag packed for him. It was that easy, you know. I told him in the car too. I go, "That was like the easiest intervention I've ever had." I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying nothing like, man, usually I don't have to say a lot, right? If I have it all set up together and the family's all on board, that's what works is, a, is when there's family dynamics when it comes to addiction. It's not like the addict is just an addict for nothing. There's stuff going on in the house, sometimes from very well-to-do families and sometimes for really well-put-together families and sometimes from uh, really uh, dysfunctional families. But end of the day, that's where they reside. That's their environment. That's the lion's den. If you don't get somebody out of their element and put them somewhere else where they can do some deep-rooted work on themselves, you know, they're still stuck in that same place where they're so used to doing, you know, drinking there or using there. And so there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of examples. There's some great success stories. People that um, years later after I've done an intervention and somehow or another we're still linked to each other in our lives or I run across them, they say, Remember that day when I was in my house and you came and I hated your guts and you you, you had my parents in your pocket and, and basically they went for everything you said. Well, I'm so happy that you came then and you put me in the right path and you sent me to the right center because ever since then now, I have two and a half years. I got my a new job. I, I'm, I got a fiance. It's stuff like that, man. That's what I'm in this for. It's just to see the rewards of, of people getting their lives back and getting out of the facade that they're caught up in rather than uh, – you know, and becoming the human beings that they're meant to be. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, if anyone has any final questions, thoughts, or experiences that they'd like to share with us in the comments before we wind down now uh, that you'd like us to address, please do so. Uh, if not, you can always reach out to us afterwards. Uh, you can contact uh, Beginnings if you need help with drug or alcohol addiction. 24-7, you can call them at 877-577-9382. If 
want to listen to any of our past podcasts, you can check out our website, SoberGrind.com. We also have an amazing Facebook recovery community that we encourage you to join. It's called Sober Grind. You can join in there and get some help. Pej, thank you so much again, my friend. Any final words that you'd like to part today? Yes. Clip the umbilical cord. Ask for professional help. If you have a struggling addict or alcoholic that you're linked to and you've run out of options, call us for help. We're here for you. We can help you in any way you want. We'll make sure we, we come up with something for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Pej. Thank you all for tuning in. If you took some value away from this, we would very much appreciate if you could take a second and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. It helps us spread the word positively and impact more lives. Thank you so much, Pej. Sober grind out. Sober grind.